Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. tonight don't let me forget or don't I want to remind you don't let me forget I want to remind you I want to help you remember uh, where everybody feels safe now don't you <laughs> uh, next week next Thursday and Friday night our district conference going to be a wonderful time uh, the evening services 730 brother Jerry Jones our general super, general secretary will be ministering in those services and I've never, ever been in a service where Brother Jones preached that I was even almost disappointed. And so it's going to be a great time in the Lord. And uh, tomorrow night at 6.30, we are going to be having classes here in the dining hall for those that are interested in learning Spanish. And uh, so if you're interested in doing that, that will be offered. It's free. Just come. And uh, you'll be blessed in that. And then don't forget every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Uh, for the next several weeks, we're going to be having Spanish Bible studies. And that's not just for our Spanish constituency. If you'd like to come and just be a show of support, that will be greatly appreciated. And uh, it always helps to have that covering of prayer and the warmth that, uh, uh, that kind of dissipates an empty room. And so if you'd like to just come... And uh, Brother Tim said something the other day. I'd, I'll probably butcher this up. Correct me if I got it wrong here. But something about even though you may not speak Spanish, to be able to hear familiar scriptures and, and topics to be shared in that language, there'll be some, something there that connects you to that. And uh, so it will be exciting. And so if you'd like to do that and support that outreach, that would be a wonderful thing. I certainly appreciate all those that have stepped up to the plate to help us in this endeavor. Time spent sharpening the sword is never time wasted. <clears throat> Today, tonight, we're going to continue our study on prayer. Thank you, Sister Trail, for singing that song as a lead-in, and almost like we planned that. <laughs> the book of Luke, chapter 11, and verse number 1, a very familiar passage of Scripture, and uh, we've talked about prayer, our source of strength, our topic Sunday morning prayer, uh, and how it relates to us in relationship to the Lord. My, what a great presence of God Sunday. Amen. And a great visitation of his spirit and presence. And here we are tonight just coming with a hungry heart and a sincere soul searching for the power of God to minister to us one more time. Amen. Uh, Book of Luke chapter 11 and verse number one. Aren't you glad you're here this evening? Amen. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, and I don't think he was just speaking for himself because he said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, when you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so rather than trying to ingest all of this this evening, I'm gonna break this down in just a couple of uh, different portions. And tonight we're gonna just take our, our topic from the very first portion of this um, pattern of prayer that we refer to as the Lord's Prayer. And uh, we're gonna talk about this evening fatherhood and holiness. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Amen. I love you, Lord, and I thank you for the privilege to be here and the privilege to have your word uh, just sharp in every aspect of our heart and mind. I pray that your anointing will be upon us this evening as a congregation. Certainly, Lord, I need you tonight. Please don't let me stand here alone, but anoint my mind, my heart. In the name of Jesus, we pray, and you can be seated in the fear of the Lord. Uh, we discussed uh, some portions of how prayer strengthens our walk with God and how it uh, implants in our lives the value of relationship we have within the kingdom. And so this evening as we continue, I want to once again look at the pattern of prayer that we find in the Lord's Prayer. This is not a prayer to recite. Uh, this is not something to just commit to memory and then just spill these words out, although it is wonderful to commit it to memory for the sake of the pattern that it brings us. And so I ask the Lord tonight and everyone in this building to help uh, all of us open our eyes and see the, see the marvelous insights to the pattern that God has given all of us. I wanna say something here at the very outset and I wanna say it very carefully because I don't want to be misunderstood on one side of the line or the other. But I do, the, I do believe that there are people that have a greater disposition to certain things than others. And prayer would certainly fall in that category. I believe that there are people that, uh, that for them, uh, that perhaps prayer uh, comes very, very easy. They're, they're, they're born inside of them, in their heart. There's just something about their emotional makeup that prayer comes a little bit more naturally for them. By the same token, there are people that are, that are born with a greater propensity towards singing than others. And, uh, but that doesn't give a license to people that cannot sing necessarily to sit on our hands during the song service. That makes sense? And so uh, during the song service, we all have to sing whether it's joyful or unjoyful noises. And so we're just called on. And so because we're, we're not that... Um, blessed with that golden voice, perhaps you think somebody else is, that, that doesn't just give us a, a ticket out. And so although we, we don't have some strengths, we're still to participate in certain things. And so there are people that have a real strong proclivity to prayer, perhaps stronger than someone else, but that does not excuse prayerlessness in our lives. Amen. And so we, we need to think about that. I want you to, I'm saying that up front so that we can kind of pull that into our heart and think about that the next time that we want to write ourselves an excuse past for prayer. And we have to maybe work at that a little bit harder. One thing that we must understand is that the, the, the pattern of the Lord's prayer, as I mentioned a moment ago, was not just a prayer 
to recite, but it is a guideline or a pattern for us in prayer. And so tonight, as we consider the first two instructions, let's take a bold look at this with an open heart. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So in this, we consider both the fatherhood and the holiness of God. Romans 8 and 14, the Bible says, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, verse 17 says, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. And so here, the model of prayer, the pattern of prayer that we're given is that we should begin with a very reverential spirit of worship. Every prayer that we offer, I believe, ought to begin with a spirit of prayer, a spirit of worship, rather, with great reverence to the power and the presence of God. We can't come in, as I mentioned Sunday, with just a laundry list and and say, this is what I need, but we ought to enter in with a spirit of worship and a spirit of thanksgiving and, um, and take, take time to give God the praise that he really deserves. And I know that there are times that the urgency of the situation demands that we kind of jump right into what I'm talking about. Um, but ne- nevertheless, we also have to have a prayer life. And so we're not talking about emergency prayers. We're not talking about pulling the emergency hats. We all have to do that from time to time. But in our prayer life, there, there ought to be something that as we begin, that uh, number one, we ought to repent. <laughs> Amen. I believe that, that prayer ought to start out with repentance. And, and then as we enter into the presence of the Lord to praise him and magnify him and, and uh, let the spirit of God touch us and wash over our heart and our lives. And prayer trains us to focus on God and on him alone. And, and if you were really honest with me this evening, I'm not implying you would be dishonest, but if you were really honest with yourself, we understand that it's very hard sometimes to stay focused in prayer. Amen. Kind of find yourself chasing rabbits here and chasing rabbits there. And, and so we have to work and be very diligent to stay focused on, on prayer, take our focus to God alone. And, and that shows in that that, that there's, there's a greater reality than what we see. Prayer can really change things. It doesn't always change our circumstances, but it can change how we view our circumstances. And, and so uh, by being specific who art in heaven, we, ex- we express the supremacy of the Lord. And, and this places our prayer in context of praise and adoration. And it also identifies our true home, our Father which art in heaven. One man said, I, I love quotes. And one man said, when we pray, it's like we're calling home. And that's a wonderful way to look at it. I'm calling home, I'm checking in. And, and I, I'm glad to know that when you call someone familiar, they don't pause and ask, who is this? <laughs> but when you're calling home and it's a familiar voice, it's, it's a welcome voice and it's a welcome reception. And so when we pray, we're calling home. And we really don't know that much about heaven. We have a few descriptions of what the scripture tells us about heaven. 
And as I've often said with those few descriptions that we have, it's so hard to comprehend the majesty of even what we know about heaven. Streets of gold, gates of pearl, and, and as the list goes on and on, we can't really comprehend that. I appreciate the artist renditions of, uh, that have been given to us through the years and kind of help us put a little bit of focus on that. But in all reality, we can't, we can't really comprehend the majesty of heaven. But, but that being said, prayer then is as close as we can get. Prayer is as close as we can get to home. It's the next best thing to being there. I, I, I uh, sent an email this week to Brother uh, Jerry Dean and I shared with him about how we shared the DVD on Sunday morning, just a few Sunday mornings ago in our Save Our Children service. And I said, it was the next best thing to you being here. And it really was. That's, that was the next best thing to him being here live. And so when we are speaking with the Lord in prayer, that's the next best thing to being in heaven. And so when we use the Lord's prayer as a pattern, we by, by default then express our solidarity within the kingdom of God or the body of Christ, if I could put it that way. The opening word, our Father, shows that we not only have a connection to God, but we have a connection to God's family. And sometimes in praying this prayer, I've only gotten as far as our. I'm being very sincere because when I just think about our, that's a collective statement. I'm not in this by myself, but I am in the body of Christ. And what a privilege to be a part of the body of Christ, not just this local church even, and not just the churches that we fellowship with, but men and women that we have never met. I'm not even talking about people within an organized effort, an organization, but the body of Christ at large. Our Father, our, it's not mine alone. I am not rowing this canoe alone. I am not in this by myself, but I am in the family of God. And so prayer, this prayer, should unite the church because it pushes us beyond economic and social or even racial barriers. And I'll talk more about that, excuse me, in just a moment. It makes us realize that in prayer, we're not alone. All over the world, believers are praying this pattern of prayer. The word Father says a lot about our relationship. Prior to the birth of Jesus, most people would not be as presumptuous as to call God by the title of their Father. But Jesus came and broke down that barrier and through the, his work, we are privileged to refer to him as such because he's not remote, he is with us. It's not something outside of us, but with us. And so we presume to talk to God on the basis of relationship. Relationship. Those who don't pray are attempting to live and find a meaning in their life apart from that relationship with God. Yet those who pray know him, know him truly as a loving father and one who understands. And, and as God's children, we, we know that as we address him as our father, we're not just trying to talk to the boss upstairs or the man upstairs or the big guy upstairs or on and on and on. Uh, that's, a, that's a true sign. People have no idea who they're talking about. Amen. He's not the man upstairs. He's not the, 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 the guy large in charge, but he's my father. He's my father. I can speak to him and, 
and I'm welcomed in his presence. I don't have to come cowardly and bashfully and shamefacedly, but I can come with boldness and find the mercy and grace that I need. I can speak to my father. He's our father, and, and the word father, you know, of course, is a family word. It's a specific title, and uh, we, we don't raise our prayers to some anonymous God, nor do we just raise our prayers to some higher power. Come on now. This is not someone we can't relate to or something that we, we can re not relate to. Our trust is not in fate. Our trust is not in nature. Our trust is not in a maybe so, a hope so, but we're going into the presence of our Father and I can speak to my Father. Also, we have to understand that, that in this prayer, there is something powerful that's released here, it should be at least in our conscience, that we are able to talk directly to God. We don't have a high priest that can't be touched with the feeling of our infirmity. Amen, I say this, I say this uh, very respectfully, but I also need us to understand that we're not having to pray to someone or through someone else. I'm not having to talk to Mary or a saint or an angel. I am able to come into the presence of my Father, my heavenly Father. I'm not asking somebody to pass the word. I'm not asking somebody to get a message to someone. Amen. What a privilege, what a privilege to think about the fatherhood of the Lord, prayer. I'm not, I'm not depending on, I hope somebody got the text or I hope they got the email or I hope they got the voicemail. I'm able to go. Whatever the, con the concerns may be, I'm able to go, whether it's in the spirit of prayer and praise and worship or the spirit of brokenness and I can speak to my father, my father, amen. Paul describes our position as members of God's family in his letter to the Galatian church. In Galatians 3 and 26, he says, for ye all are the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. We have been adopted into God's family according to Romans 8. We've been adopted into the family of God and we've received the spirit of sonship, allowing us to share in his treasures. Now you'll not see a greater example of this um, in my opinion, you'll not see a greater example of this than in the life of David and Mephibosheth. Because when, when David took the throne of Israel and, and then later learned about Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan being spared, David said, where is he? Go find him, bring him to me. And when you read this most beautiful, incredible story, of David said, I want you to realize that you're gonna come into my house and you're gonna sit at my table and you'll eat always. Any time you can come to my house and eat. And then as David's relationship in this very same conversation begins to melt together, David said, you are gonna come as one of my sons and sit at the table and eat continually, any time. Now, I miss my mother and father for many, many reasons, and this is gonna sound very selfish, but, but one, of the, one of the things that I miss a whole lot about my mom and dad is being able to stop at their house and just go in and look in the refrigerator. Now, I was a grown man with a refrigerator of my own. 
But that wasn't nearly as rewarding as going into their house and just opening the refrigerator and realizing that whatever is there that I can have, and if I acted pitiful enough, mother would cook me whatever it was, even if it wasn't in the refrigerator. <laughs> Why? Because it's, it was her pleasure to do that and, and, and dad's pleasure to do that. I, w- I was in their home. I wasn't some stranger. I wasn't some just a guest. I was a son, a favorite son. Lord, don't let this CD get out. <laughs> and, uh, and, and let's move, right? Move, please hurry and move through that. But we're allowed to share in those treasures, share in those treasures. It was their pleasure. And so as a parent today, I can relate to that. It, and and it's, it's not a problem. I mean, we, uh, there have been many times we've left home and, and uh, maybe we were going to be gone for several days and we call back to Justin and Sarah and tell them, hey, you know, we, we've got a loaf of bread and we've got milk. And you know what they say? We already got it. <laughs> you know, let us get out of the driveway for crying out loud. We've already got it. And you know what? There's something inside of you that just smiles, right? Amen. I hate to have to confess all this in front of him because he'll probably take more than milk and bread next time. But what? I mean, it's that. That's what it's all about. And so we don't have to come in as can we, can we, can we. And I remember for a brief period of time, and I was in the third grade, and and my mom and dad, we moved next door to my grandmother and grandfather Boyd. And, and uh, that was, the, of course, the closest we had ever lived in proximity to them. And, uh, and so as the occasions were when you lived next door, sometimes you need a cup of sugar, you need an egg or, or whatever. And I can remember my grandmother. What, what I remember most about that particular experience of my life was that she always sent more than you asked for. Always. And, and so there's something about those childhood memories. Why? Because her treasures, it was a pleasure to let you into those treasures. And so are you getting where I'm going when we're talking about our Father, which art in heaven? That ought to change the complexion of how we pray. I'm not going here being presumptuous, and I'll cover that in, about in, in the second hour, but <laughs> I'll cover that in just a moment. But we're going into the presence of the Lord who wants to give us of his treasures. And so... He is the, we've been adopted, and I don't mean to imply at all that we're to be overly casual about that. Please understand me. Just as we're expected to honor and, and, uh, and respect our earthly parents, we are to approach God, certainly with the spirit of reverence and the spirit of, of fear, not afraid fear, but reverent fear. But Paul says that we can call God Abba or Abba Father, and that word is translated Daddy. Now, how's that for you? I mean, that just really makes it a lot more warm and fuzzy, don't it? Because there's probably not a lot of people that refer to their father as in their presence, oh, father. But dad, daddy, or whatever, it kind of brings it more personal. And so it's used by young and adult children in Israel as a common force of address. And so my point is this, is that we ought to feel comfortable in the presence of the Lord, but that doesn't warrant me being nonchalant. It doesn't warrant me being disrespectful. And so as I mentioned earlier, some people refer to him as the man upstairs or the big guy and things of that nature. I don't want to ever be disrespectful to the Lord. We need to remind him that he's my friend, but he's not my buddy. Right? Amen. I, I, I mean, I, I, need to, I need to understand the relationship aspect of that. 
but I also need to realize that I can come into his presence. Now, for some people, the concept of God as a father has been damaged and distorted by uh, bad experiences of fatherhood, whether that's characterized by rejection or abandonment or abuse, and the list I'm sure could go on and on. But, and, and so I'm aware that to some, the word father or the role of father has been blurred in, the, in their eyes. But, but when I speak of father, I'm speaking in the terms of how a father ought to be. And now let me just say this, as a father, and in defense of every father here, you didn't come with an owner's manual. And so we learn by trial and error. And, and so I hope that I'm a better father today than I was in 1985. And I can only trust that. I don't know if he's agreeing or disagreeing back there, but I can only trust that. And so, uh, so if, if people had a father that perhaps failed or was weak in some area, uh, we need to think about this. God wants to be the father they never had or the father that they did not have. In that regard, Psalm 68 says, a father to the fatherless. Amen. That's what God wants to be. So we can trust God. And he really understands and he really does love us. God doesn't just possess, uh, God does not possess the weakness or the failings or the inconsistencies of humanity. He is, he is what a father ought to be. And so because he has identified as that, this explains our motive to pray in the first place, that we can go to him because he gladly will meet those needs. A common objection to prayer is this. Since God already knows what I need, why do I have to pray? He knows everything. He knows our needs. One songwriter said, before we pray. And so if God knows what we need, then what's the big deal with prayer? But we, we don't pray to inform God. We don't pray to an ignorant God or we don't pray to badger a reluctant God. Our prayers are offered because we have a family relationship. And we can talk about it. <laughs> we can talk about it. And so God wants to be asked, hear me now, for the very things that we long for. He enjoys meeting those needs. However, there's a point that we just cannot afford to miss because prayer in turn prepares us to receive what God wishes for us to have. Because sometimes I thought one way when I went to prayer, but I thought a different way when I come out of prayer. Because the more I talked through a situation, the more clearly I saw it. I got a phone call. I got a text. Somebody from the not from our church got a text from a friend of mine, and uh, and he asked me, "Can you take a phone call right now?" I said, "Sure." So the phone rang, and when he answered the phone, he was in the rafters. And so he starts telling me about this situation and on and on and on and on. And so all I can do is listen. But as I listened, I began to put together the pieces of the puzzle that who he was really aggravated at was not the person at fault. That he had really allowed somebody else to do and say something. That got him all fuzzed up about something else. Are you following me in all this? Or you want me to just tell you all the details? <laughs> you're saying no with your head but in your heart you're saying I would love to know 
So he gets through all of this. And we've been friends a long time. We've been through a lot of highs and lows together. So when he got through talking, I said, well, let me ask you something. Can I just speak to you as a friend? He said, sure, that's why I called you. Okay. And so I told him what I thought. I said, I think you've allowed this third party to get you all up in the air and this other person over here that you've got the crosshairs on has very little to do with this. And at first he was a little defensive of that. And then the more he started talking about it, now I'm not trying to make myself look good, I'm trying to use an example here. The more he talked his way, his own way through it, he said, you know what, would you just forget I made this phone call? And so that's what prayer does for us sometimes. We talk through the situation. And so prayer conditions us to receive what God's best interest really is for us. Because God sometimes says no. God doesn't always agree with us. He doesn't always think we have it all hammered out. And so prayer conditions us for that. Is that all right? I, took way too much time with that. But by saying our Father, we identify ourselves as children and as such we are confessing that he is a sovereign Lord. God is sovereign. He doesn't owe us anything. And that's where we really get off track sometimes. That's where I really get off track sometimes. I'll leave you alone. Sometimes we just really think that God owes us something, but God is sovereign and he doesn't owe us an explanation. He doesn't owe us anything at all. And so in this open Opening statement, we find both family and kingdom imagery. In other words, or additionally, when we say our father, it means that we are to pray. When we are saying our father, that means that we are confessing with our lips that we are brothers and sisters. <laughs> and so what happens now is really incredible because when we say our father, that puts me in the place of sonship puts men in the place of sonship, it puts women in the, in the place of being a daughter. And so that statement breaks down all barriers. Stay with me right here. That means there can be no social, no ethnic, or, or economic distinctions in the body of Christ. Because we are brothers and sisters. We are Sons and daughters in the kingdom because he is our father. And so that means the rich and the poor can sit on the same pew together. Amen. I don't know who, which one wants to be what here, but y'all can all sit together. The rich and the poor, the common and the uncommon, the learned and the illiterate, the, the haves and the have-nots. Is this all right? Amen. We can come into the kingdom of God together if we sincerely pray our father that puts me in the family of God, but that makes me a son. And if I am a son, that means I have a sister somewhere. And we are brothers and sisters within the kingdom of God, not just when it's convenient and not only when people are acting in ways that aren't embarrassing. We're all family. You can't pick your family. How many figured that out? And so you just had to embrace it all. And so that's a powerful concept to realize that the church is this beautiful entity. Hallelujah. And so we tear down social lines and ethnic lines and economic lines and on and on and on. The, the list goes. And, and so the early Christian church consisted of Jewish and Gentile believers. And I know that doesn't mean a lot to us today. But if you know what I'm referring to, that was a big uh-oh. 
when the church was born. The New Testament clearly states that there were barriers between these groups. And, and uh, one of the very first meetings that ever happened in the church uh, wasn't a pleasant gathering in Acts 15. And so finally Simon Peter had to say, wait a minute, they all received the Holy Ghost. They, they all spake with tongues as you spake with tongues, right? And so here we are, we're one body. And, and so we had to learn how to make those adjustments. I'm gonna tell you, you're gonna be really surprised when you get to heaven. Amen. I don't think it'll matter too much right then. <laughs> but the Lord's prayer gives us an outward focus. It takes our attention off of me. Our prayers are oftentimes selfish and self-centered and it's perfectly fine to offer God our personal needs, but God also wants to, us to pray for the needs of other people as well. Which leads me to another phone call I had this week. I did more than talk on the phone. but I was talking to a, a friend of mine, Brother David Johnson, who pastors in the uh, Memphis area, and uh, in, in, in our conversation on the phone, uh, he, we were, we, somehow he brought up the subject of, of Brother Upton, L.P. Upton, I've referred to him many times, and he said, I, I saw that I had posted something on Facebook, my wife had actually about Brother Upton, and, and he said, you know, I saw that, he said, I, I, let me tell you a story. He said, back during Hurricane Katrina, Brother and Sister Upton pastored in South, the, pastor of the church in South Louisiana, so they had to evacuate uh, during those storms. And so he said, Brother Upton called us and asked, could we come to the Memphis area and just spend a few days until uh, all the storm had blown over? And he said, so they came, and the second day they were there, he said, we went out to eat breakfast, and we came back by the church. And he said, we came by the church to have prayer. And he said, uh, and, and you couldn't really be in the same building with Brother Upton praying and not really hear him praying. He had just a very robust voice, very commanding voice. And he said, Brother Upton knelt down at the altar and began to pray. And he said, I was trying to pray, but I couldn't hardly pray for listening to him pray. And he said, as I listened to him pray, his prayers consisted of praying for others. And he said, I thought, here is a man who don't even know if he has a house. They don't even know if they're gonna be able to go home to anything. And he is praying and he was just interceding for the lives of other people. And I, I, by this time, Brother Johnson is very tenderhearted anyway. Brother Johnson was just crying on the phone. I was crying. He said, you've got me crying. I said, you've got me crying. <laughs> and so we were just riding down the road crying. And he said, he said, I know what I'm about to say may sound silly. He said, but from that moment until now, when I really get up against it, he said, when I go to the church to pray, he said, I pray right where he was praying. Amen. Now, he's not trying to make nothing sacred out of a piece of carpet or a piece of wood, but he said, I just want to be reminded that it's not about me. This is not about me. This is about God and the kingdom and, and people that, uh, that are a part of the body of Christ. Is that all right? Amen. Lord, help us to be encouraged by those, by those things. And so there are times that, that we need to have something that kind of brings us back to center. And, uh, and, and so when we begin with the word ours, I mentioned a moment ago, that reminds us that we are identifying ourselves as a part of a community of faith. And I'm not trying to, to just sound too soft and mushy with that, but we're a part of the body of Christ, and that's the truth. It's really the truth. And so if you maintain a prayer list, I know some people do that, and uh, I, I do much to, to a large degree. And when you, when you are praying about certain things, and that, that kind of serves as a, something to keep us on course, but if, you're, if you have a prayer list, look it over 
And if it's a lot about you, you might want to think about that. And so our prayers obviously ought, to, we, we have the right to bring our petitions to God. Prayer and supplications that I talked about the other day. But it may give us some real insight as to how we're praying if we need to really pray and project to others. Let's move to the holy aspect of that and I won't take as long. But the word hallowed means holy. To hallow something means to, to sanctify that or to be sound or fit or holy, to make special or perfect, free from defilement or, or uncontaminated. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. God is still separate from us in that he is undefiled. The opposite of hallowed is to profane or disgrace the name of God. And so it is not an accident that people profane the name of God. I mean, that really gets up next to me when I hear people use the name of the Lord in vain. And I know some of you work jobs where you can't avoid that. You just can't quit every job you get because somebody didn't say something right. And so sometimes you're exposed to things that, and so that, if you, if you are that person that you really understand then that, that, that we are trying to, to honor the name of God in every way and they are profaning the name of God. And so I don't want to speak in a profane way. And so uh, another translation of that says this, may your name be held holy. Our Father who art in heaven, may your name be held holy, reverent. May we always speak of that in the right way. Our primary concern and our deepest passion should be that the name of God is always revered. It's always special. Hallowed be thy name. You know what that does when we, when we say our Father and then hallowed be thy name, that brings balance to that. Our Father, our Father, but we don't become so cavalier that we don't realize that his name is not holy and to be revered and so it brings balance, perfect balance to that. And so these two phrases, we see our close intimate relationship as the Lord is our Father, but also in balance of the respect and the reverence that we have for him. And so by starting with God's holiness in the Lord's prayer, we recognize that prayer is not primarily for our benefit. So as our musicians come, I'm gonna bring this to a close. People today have their names highly regarded. Some people really wanna see their name in lights or on plaques, awards and headlines, etc. And they're seeking fame and fortune and notoriety. And so it is to this attitude that David responds, glorify the name, glorify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Glorify the Lord with me and let's exalt, let us exalt his name together. So let's put our, his name above our name. Amen. When Moses appeared before the burning bush, he heard the voice of God and was told this, Moses, take off your shoes because you're standing on holy or hallowed ground. This was to, to signify an act of humility in the presence of the Lord. When Isaiah beheld the vision, the majesty of God, he cried out in fear, realizing, I am, I'm unworthy of this I'm undeserving of this at that moment he understood who God was 
and who Isaiah was. And in the presence of the Lord, in his holiness, when the light really shines, God doesn't shine that on us to shame us, but it is to reveal to us areas of our lives that we need to work on. Amen. And so this affirmation, hallowed be thy name, reflects the many prayers of King David. David declared the majesty and the holiness of God before he ever made any request. We see most biblical prayers, in most biblical prayers, worship precedes petition. Certain, um, certain names just invoke on us or, or certain concepts uh, invoke upon us certain ideas or, or thoughts. If I were to list a few names, there, there are just some thoughts that would come to you instantly. They would bring thoughts to, to perhaps companies or, or if I said Dawn uh, dishwashing detergent. That, that there's something that that is a, associated with the name Dawn, or, or, whatever the whatever the list may be. You could you could throw a lot of things in there, and our minds would instantly go there and gravitate to that because that's that's where our, that's what we associate that with. And so when we revere the name of God, we're making known His reputation. And we're proclaiming who he is and all that he has done. And so when we stand in a hospital room, for example, and we hold the hand of someone whose, whose future is very, very uncertain and we say, we're gonna call on the name of the Lord. That ought to invoke something in our mind that says, wait a minute now. We're not just gonna call on the name of Kenny. I mean, that might be really handy if you need something built. I'm not being disrespectful. That, that may be the name to call if you need something constructed. But, but right now, we're beyond what a hammer and nail can do. And so we're, gonna, we're not gonna call on the name of Junior. We're not gonna call on the name of Toby. or We're not gonna call the name of Brian. We're, we're gonna call on the name of the Lord. And that ought to invoke in something us faith that exceeds the circumstance because his name brings to us great memories. Our name is linked to our reputation. Jewish families gave special thought to the names that they chose for their children. Therefore, they picked names that, that would reflect qualities that they hoped to see develop in their children. And the third commandment then <clears throat> tells us not to use God's name lightly or casually or, or irreverently or curse or in jest. We're to honor the name of the Lord and everything we say and do there ought to be honor in that. In our culture, we've reduced, in, to some degrees, we've reduced worship to a level of entertainment. Unless you think I'm casting stones, I'm gonna say that sadly, we are guilty of the same thing. I'm, I'm working on this in my own life. But sometimes I really do think, and I want you to take this in balance, but sometimes I really do think when people visit our church services, I hope they enjoyed the service. I think I know what I mean when I say that. But this is not about them enjoying us. We say, you know, I hope they got something out of this. I hope the sermon was inspiring or I hope the worship and the music and the singing was uplifting. And I think I know what we mean when we say that. But I wanna leave some room 
that we are not all guilty of turning this into entertainment a little bit. Because this is not about whether they enjoy us singing or somebody here preaching. This is about coming into the presence of the only hope there is this side of eternity. And so we can't just sing that down and speak that down. Amen, we need to bring that with us into this house by relationship. And so some people think, well, if we just kind of maybe, if we'll just change our singing to the way we're singing, maybe we'll have this power, not so. Or if we'll just maybe start preaching like so-and-so's preaching, then we'll have that power. Uh Uh-uh. What the anointing is, is the end result of people that are in relationship with God outside, in our case, of Sunday and Wednesday. Does that make sense? Amen, we've gotta be in relationship with God, the anointing of God. Somebody prayed the Holy Ghost down, the authority of God down, and we brought that to church with us. We didn't just get here and try to work it up or pull it down, but we brought heaven with us. (laughs) Hallelujah, hallelujah. And so that's what happens when you live holy every day. That's, what, that's an end result of what happens when you are righteous, righteously living every day and when we're living right, living right, talking right, walking right. <laughs> Amen. When we are in relationship with God, we bring that relationship with us collectively to church. But hear me, we bring it with us individually to, to work in the circumstances. You know what people have said of you and what people have said of me and other, others that are in relationship with the Lord? It just seems like that when you're here, I feel the spirit of peace. People have said that about you. But what they really felt was the presence of God. In Mark 4 and 35, the disciples were, were in the ship making their way from one way, one side to another and the wind began to blow and the waves began to toss and poured into the ship. The scripture says so that it was now full. And Jesus, the scripture says, being asleep on a pillow He was man enough to go to sleep, but he was God enough to speak to the winds and the waves and say, peace, be still. Leaving the very ones that were his followers scratching their head in sorts saying, what manner of man is this? That even the winds and the sea obey him. What brings peace is the spirit and the power of God. What will release sinners from sin will not be, please take this right. What releases sinners from sin will not be the sermon nor will it be the song, but it will be the anointing that breaks the yoke. The anointing that breaks the yoke. We'll never be talented enough to do that. We'll never be gifted enough to do that. We'll never be sharp enough to do that. We need the anointing to break the yoke and the anointing only comes through prayer. Amen. Let's stand together. Lord, I love you today.
This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.